Go Late Selects, brought to you by Sky. Watch new exclusive and unmissable content only on Sky. So, gentlemen, what are we doing for our Christmas party this year? Oh, I love it. You're trying out, but you want us to think of what we're doing. We're going for pints. Although, are we? When have you and me ever? Well, we've had a pint once. How many we times did. have you tried to have a pint? <laughs> we have arranged to have drinks once a month for the last three and a half years. So what are the chances of it happening before Christmas? To quote Michael Fish, the weatherman, they are fair to Midland with a high chance of a hangover and the trots. Let's do it! Welcome, welcome, everyone, if you're a special branch or on the run. Christy Why would the special branch be listening to this? <laughs> like, just as a matter of interest. Like, why? For entertainment, Simon. Hey, Jesus. special branch need to know what's on TV when they're not out. Well, if any members of the special branch are listening to this currently, welcome. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. Indeed, we don't discriminate against anyone. This is Go Loud Selects, <laughs> a Go Loud original, and it's brought to you by the people of Sky. And Sky are recommending this week that you get your eyeballs around Kingdom of Dreams. Sounds Ooh. like it could be another Game of Thronesy type thing. It's not at all. This is a, a true-to-life documentary that focuses on the fashion industry, particularly in the 80s, uh. in the 90s, and the noughties, and the rivalries between some big designers like Alexander McQueen, John Galliano and indeed Mark Jacobs. Fashion is a dream maker, the illusion. And by all accounts, it's a pretty cutthroat world, the fashion business. And even sadly and tragically, uh, certain people and big players involved in it over the years have indeed lost their lives. So this four part series delves into the rise and fall and the tycoons and the backstabbing and uh, supermodels and uh, just the explosion of fashion. Um, in, in in those eras, and uh, I've heard very good things about it. I don't think you have to be uh, necessarily into your clothes to enjoy this one because it's more. Um, I think there's kind of a dare I say a bit of a thriller vibe to it, you know, in terms of the the rivalries and the power struggles and all that kind of stuff. Well, on the fashion vibe, can I shoot both of you a quick question? Shoot. Um, what would you say, genuinely and honestly, was your biggest fashion faux pas to date? Uh, JC, Ado. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. Cut my own hair in my teens, something like that. Fucking hell. I'll paint a picture for you. I'm 14 years of age. I'm going to the disco. Right. On me, I have... Well, I start from the top or the bottom? I start Go from, from the bottom. I've worked my way up. I've a pair of trainers. Uh, they were probably knockoff ones um, from duns or pennies you know yeah. the, the nothing thing. wrong with either by the way I had the four stripes instead of the three stripes but they were velcro and then oh, I had Jesus. the coolest item of clothing I've ever owned a red blood what? a blood red pair of Joe Bloggs jeans and down me right thigh thigh was the Joe Bloggs logo literally from me hip <laughs> Me knee. It could be any fucking bigger. In yeah, big... but in fairness, I like you're not you're not exactly lanky. Like I'm amazed it could fit it in from your knee to the ground. <laughs> I just put the initials on mine, JB. JB. And then I paired that with this yellow and black oh, uh, stripey top. Yeah, like, think think the Kilkenny jersey, but the stripes going vertically. You must have looked like a Haribo walking around, did you? <laughs> and I couldn't have got a kick in a fucking stampede when the slow sets came um, on. You were walking around dressed like something you'd step over in Dame Street at half three in the morning on a Saturday morning. My one would be, oh, well, I'll go, I'll go. Yeah, I'm 16. I'm heading down to the cricket disco in Clontarf. I've got on a pair of black suede slip-on loafers. I've got white socks. I've got grey drainpipe trousers, which are slightly short, so you can see the socks. I've got a white shirt on. And I've got a white jacket, which had strings coming from it. It looked like a life preserver, but it was made of material, accompanied with the parting on the right-hand side, the full Tony Hadley haircut, with so much hairspray to keep it in place, that if the wind blew in a certain direction, my hair lifted like a fucking pedal bin. (laughs) (laughs) 
you were channeling your your Johnny Logan wardrobe. I was. But now I was channeling my full neuromantic wardrobe. The mistake I made one time wearing that outfit. Well, it was a mistake to wear it every time, but I one night I wore that outfit to the Grove. Mm, the Grove was the goth kingdom <laughs> right, in okay. Rahini. And I turned up looking like a fucking tampon. <laughs> Complete with strings. Oh, Jesus Christ. A sniper wouldn't take me out. Anyway, what's the name of that series on Sky, I know? I can't get that image out of my head. <laughs> it's called Kingdom of Dreams. Can't promise it'll feature any of Simon's... Uh, Thank God. ...from his wardrobe. Do you still have that jacket? <laughs> no, I don't have the jacket, no. But I do have a photograph of me in that outfit, and I promise I will tweet that this week when this episode goes out. You're a braver man than I am. <clears throat> nah, fuck it. Let's welcome back to the podcast, the entertainment.ie movie editor, Brian Lloyd, son of Christopher Lloyd, we just uh, found out. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you? Son of Christopher um, Lloyd. I'm not, I'm not any relation to Christopher Lloyd at all. Not, not, even, not even a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. Not even, not even a smidge, but fair play. You know. He's a great actor, though. He's still going as well. He any, is. Relation, any relation to Harold? No, no relation to Harold Lloyd, but there are actually, and this is this is not joking out, there actually is a Wikipedia article about uh, my great-great-grand-uncle, uh, who was a famous engineer, and he built a few ridges, uh, or bridges, I should say, and he helped um, build locomotives, and yeah, there's a Wikipedia article about him, because... Trained people are fucking anoraks, and there's a Wikipedia article about them, and you can look it up. There we see. Just because it's on Wikipedia doesn't mean it's true, Brian. (laughs) No, that's true, but I mean, it's it's. I found it once, and I showed it to my dad, and he was like, "Yeah, he, yeah, I remember your my father talking about him. He was, yeah, and da 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 da. Yeah, he's from Rohini, and not far from you, actually. Well, you see." You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Such good things have come out of Rohini. Such over as? The years. Apart from Brian's great, great, great something or other. Well, my dad is from Rohini. My dad's from Rohini. He's yeah, from you see? Road, yeah. Take that, Ado. Yeah. Stake that up yeah. here. Take that, uh, actually. Take that from Rohini. Wow. Yeah. And, and Martin King is from Eden Moore. Martin well, King so. is from Eden Moore and Dayton Allen. He is. out there and all in anyways. Right, let's steam into it because we've a lot to cover this week, but we will start as always. Noddy Doyle was from Rohini. <laughs> he was a teacher from Rohini, though. He, 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 well, he, he taught, taught in Kilmerick, yeah. He taught in Rohini, yeah. 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 That's right, yeah. Okay. This this, this next conver- this conversation is going to be peppered with Simon just blurting out random people he can think of. From Rohini! Yeah, Most of the Dublin team from Rohini. Yeah, that's a big, it's a big GAA stronghold, yeah. 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 claiming all the dubs now over there in the north yeah, I'm not side. claiming all the them in anyways. Oh, there's here in the south side. Brian, what's in the cinema this week, and uh, is it worth going to see? Right, I have two films for you, and we'll talk about one of them. And it's basically like, it's column <laughs> A, column... No, 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 seriously, because it's basically, right, one film uh, stars Bill Nighy, and it's very much counter-programming to the other film, which is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, and interestingly enough, right, not to be a complete dickhead, they actually are very kind of interwoven because they're both about kind of life and death. But pick which one you want. Do you want to talk about like the I, very, very, do you want to talk about the Bill Nye one or do you want to talk? Well, do you know what? I saw, I saw the trailer for the Bill Nye one. I think it's, uh, it's obviously that one last night uh, where he is and he plays where he plays a Lord. Is it a Lord in, in, in the House of Lords or something? Is that it? No, he's a civil servant in London in the 50s. From when I was a child, what I wanted was to be a gentleman. Life just crept up on me. One day preceding the next. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mr. Williams. Not happy, not unhappy. Uh, Yeah, talk Mm. about that first. That sounds actually... And we like Bill Nye. More up our street than the other. Yes, very much so. Um, so what's going on in this is Bill Nye, he plays this uh, civil servant for the city of London in the, 19, in the 1950s. Um, the film is actually based on uh, a Japanese film from the 50s called Ikiru, um, which was directed by Akira Kurosawa. And Kurosawa, if you don't know, 
he did like Yo Jimbo, he did the Seven Samurai, like he was known where he did Ran. He did one um, of the masters, let's say, of cinema. Basically, yeah, basically. Just like known for doing big, huge samurai epics. And he made this small little film about um and again, like Livin takes the exact same plot. So basically what's going on is Bill Nye is this bureaucrat in, in the city of London, gets a terminal uh, diagnosis and basically decides that he's like, right, well, I'm not going to waste time whiling away my days in an office. I'm going to go out and try live. So he piddles off down to Blackpool where he meets this uh, failed novelist played by Tom Burke. And you'd know him <clears throat> from, he was in that BBC adaptation of War and Peace He's that he's in that show Kamara and Strike. Um he kind of strike the two of them kind of strike up a friendship, but your man Tom Burke's character is basically a dip so like he just drinks all the time and all the rest of it. And Bill Nighy's character is sort of like, you know, he's lived this sort of uh, uh very uh restrained life, almost comically restrained. You know, he doesn't really talk that much. He almost kind of speaks in a whisper and all the rest of it. Wears a bowler hat and has the 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 the, the brawly and all the rest of it um, but yeah goes down to Blackpool uh, decides that you know drinking away his final his final days isn't for him comes back up to London and kind of strikes up a relationship with uh, a young co-worker um, it was this young woman who you know had been working in the same office as him and she's now gone off to work uh, in a restaurant and like I know that sounds very kind of low stakes and almost kind of a little bit boring, but like, I mean, what makes living for me is the fact that Bill Nighy gives quite honestly, one of the best performances I've seen this year, full stop, probably his best performance ever, I would think. And it does the kind of like, okay, what do you do when you're faced with a terminal diagnosis? What do you do when you're faced with the end of something? And you look back and you're kind of like, okay, is the, has the life I led actually meant anything? And I'm not even talking about like, you know, the way the Banshees of Inishir and did it where it's like, oh, I've got to leave a legacy or anything like that. It's more sort of, I've not lived a life that I want to live, but I'm going to try to do it now. Um, it's brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Bill Nighy is such a damn good actor. And he, like, you know, if you look at his stuff prior to this, like you look at, you know, Love Actually or you know, his funny stuff like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or even, you know, the blockbuster stuff he did, like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. He is an actor, I think, that tends to rely a lot on ticks and he relies on voices and he lets kind of, I guess, the character kind of swamp over him and kind of plays it with a certain level of theatricality, which is totally fine. Like he's And he does it very, very well, but there's always a sense of like, he's kind of playing it a bit too hard whereas in this he plays it so restrained he's so kind of held back and by holding back when you do see little slivers of emotion from him you do kind of get Mm. these like tender moments it's absolutely devastating like you are just floored by it you know Mm. and uh, and i really really enjoyed it and the thing of it is this will probably come and go from cinema so if you see this in a cinema and you want a good cry, my God, go and watch it because it'll floor you by the end. Yeah, I have to say, I saw the trailer for it. Is that me? I got it confused. I thought he was a lord in the House of Lords, but he's, yeah, he's a civil servant. And I saw the trailer and I absolutely love the trailer. And I actually said to myself, I want to go and see that. It looks yeah, brilliant. No, it's, it's brilliant. And it'd be the perfect kind of film that you could go see it in the afternoon or something like that. And you probably have a nice little empty cinema to yourself and you'd enjoy it perfectly. And you should see it in the cinema as well. Because... I don't know how any of you feel about this, but like when you watch a film at home versus when you watch a film in the cinema, chances are if you're watching at home, you can pause it and get up and make a cup of tea or you can pause hmm. it and check your phone or something like that. And you lose the immersion. And whereas when you're in the cinema, you are locked in a room with it yeah. and it's just the sole focus of your attention. And I think that is something that I, I, I honestly think as much as like, you know, streaming, you know, especially TV and stuff like that. Like, there's so much more variety and all the rest of it. And, you know, the stories that they're doing on TV are a lot more kind of edgy and different than what you'd see in cinemas. You know, for all the people that are complaining, like, oh, it's just Marvel films. Oh, it's just blockbusters. Here's a film that is a drama, is a grown-up film, 
that has a real depth and substance to it, and it's in cinemas now, and you can go see it. So, what about the rest of the it. cast? Uh, I, I just realised I worked with Tom Burke. Um, he he was in Modern Love, uh, yeah, with, with Mini Driver. Um, That's right. And by some so I've I just finished in a movie with Bill Nye. He, although I never met the man, but um, mm. he's uh, I, I I did hear the crew talking about him and, and saying that he was an utter gentleman, and he's, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, he's very like, you know, you kind of hear him doing interviews and stuff like that, and he's yeah. it's it's very very silky smooth kind of guy, like and just <laughs> yeah. no, but he is, but he really really is like. He's but I think if you really, open the like, dictionary, if you looked up actor, there'd be a photograph of Bill Nye, wouldn't there? Probably, like he is, like he's very much one of those guys, like he's an actor's actor, like you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other cast in it, there's um, Alex Sharp, who people might know. I think he was in. He was kind of, he was a Broadway actor. He's English, but he was a Broadway actor. He did um, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Uh-huh. Um, he kind of got discovered from that. And the other person then would be Amy Lou Wood. And she was in uh, Sex Education. And she actually uh, won a, a television award for that. Mm. Um, the sorry, British Academy Television Award for her role in that. So she's like an up and coming actor. But I mean, it's a proper cast. Isn't it? I mean, it's a Alex proper Sharp cast. Was, yeah. was in that brilliant trial of the Chicago Seven. Yes, that's right. Now he had that's a small enough movie. role in that. Yeah, he did have a small enough show. role in that. But again, like like I'm saying, it's very much. It's a, a the cast is very very well well put together. Like like I said, mm. Bill Nye, it is his show, and he does lead the mm. kind of pack, but. He has this cast of like young talent around him, and you know he even though it's his film, he has enough of an awareness that he can take a back seat in a scene and just let your one Amy Lou Wood take over, or he can let Tom Burke take over for a whole scene or for a whole yeah. kind of segment of the film, let it go, and the film isn't you know it's not diverted in any way. It's shape, not or suffering form. from it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I fear we're not going to be left with many chocolate segments after that review. It sounds like you're going to go fairly high in it. 18, 18 out of 20. Yeah, this is like, four, yeah, four and a half, yeah, I've like four and a half out of five, uh, 18 out of 20. I absolutely love this. And I'm not ashamed wow. to admit it, gents. Did you ball your eyes bawled, out? I bawled my fucking eyes out in the last game. Mm. Bawled my mm. fucking eyes out. And dare I ask, do I mention, dare I mention the Oscar award? Is there a buzz about that performance? I, there, I, there hasn't been yet, but I'll tell you what. He fucking should be. He wow. absolutely should be getting nominated because Love it us. is the best thing he's done ever, I think. Um, wow. And I would not be surprised. I really wouldn't be surprised if he gets nominated. I would hope he wins because... Damn it! This is one of this is one of the best performances I've seen this year. So he really, wow. really should be in the running for it. I'll tell you my secret nickname for you, Mister Zombie. Mister what? Wow, that's um, that's a Excellent. an incredible review, Brian. Uh, it, the standout performance of Bill Nye's career. It's in cinemas, um, but will it be on the streaming services anytime soon? I know you don't want us to watch it there, but you know sometimes you get a film that's released. Uh, yeah, the, no, I don't. I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure when it's going to stream, and I'd imagine it will be. Of course, they all are. Um, I'd say probably it'll end up on streaming by you know the end of the year, maybe the yeah. new year, perhaps or whatever. Mm. But, and then what's yeah. behind door number two today, Brian? Black Panther Wakanda forever. Right. Okay, so now fill us in here just for us, for those of us who do, who aren't too aware of this. Is this like a, a franchise like the, the the Marvel series that there's been a number of these movies in this world? Yes, it's it's set in that that cinematic universe they call it, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Uh, Black Panther was in that. Um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, who died, uh, mm-hmm. God, when did he pass away? Last year, I want to say, years the ago? year before last, two years ago. Yeah. So he was Black Panther, um, or King T'Challa, and when he passed away, I mean, obviously, look, it was terrible. It was a young actor, just kind of was really hitting his stride really kind of crashed onto the scene with uh, the first Black Panther film. He'd been doing a lot of kind of like supporting roles leading up to this, but 
Black Panther was his kind of his launch pad. And then he did a film after that then called 21 Bridges, which was this brilliant kind of really old school pop boiler noir, modern noir thing. Um, and he was great in it. How are you going to do this? There are 21 bridges in and out of Manhattan. Shut them down. Then he got sick and then he stopped taking roles and then obviously passed away. So well, there was I a remember, question. If I remember yeah. it all right, in, and I could be wrong, I think he had hid his illness for a long time had, and yeah. had maybe had. had continued to make movies um, and including the Black Panther movie, which was quite a, a physical role. And, yeah. and no one was well, no one was the wiser, but the poor man no. was literally dying. There's an yeah, incredible clip it. online where he's been interviewed on the red carpet after after that Black Panther movie, and somebody was asking him a glib question about, "Oh, what about the sequel? You know, we're going to see more of him." And he just says, "I'm dead, man. I'm dead." Well, no, so... that was because no, no. To be fair, that was because <laughs> no, there's a reason for that. The character um, I know, but now yeah. we know maybe there was more to that that response then. So, who have we got in this one? So, um, Letitia Wright um, played his on-screen sister. Angela Bassett is in as well. Uh, she played uh, Black Panther's mother. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o played his love interest. And then you have uh, this new car- this new uh, actor. Well, I say new actors, and he's been introduced in this called Tena Quarta. So, essentially, what's going on is, is the Black Panther has died. Uh, from an unknown illness, and now the country of Wakanda, which is where they're all based, uh, is being attacked by other countries because Wakanda has this substance called vibranium, which is the toughest metal in the world. And oh, you know, the likes God. of yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a comic book film. It's a comic book film. So like, yeah. essentially, I what's going? I just take us into the writers' room there, Simon. Okay, what's the strongest metal out there? Titanium. What 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 one could we make stronger than that? Vibranium. <laughs> Everyone, go home early. Job done. Pack it up there. We got it. We got it. Pack yeah. it up there. Pack it up. Pack it up. We got it. But Sorry, uh, so this. yeah. So long story short. Um, the characters from Black Panther now have to figure out a way of how they're going to defend their country from all these other countries trying to get at their vibranium. And then on top of that as well, this character called Namor, the Submariner, uh, comes onto the scene and his uh, nation is being attacked as well. So it's kind of a case of... Why, what do they have? Titanimonium? No, they have vibranium as well, but they're an water nation. Yeah, yeah. They're what? Oh, like right. Look, <laughs> but they are—they both have vibranium. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then why okay. are they fighting? Okay. Okay. Just. just Sorry. Sorry. Here's what, okay. Right. The Perry is. You do, ha- can you okay. do a pie chart? <laughs> or a vibranium chart? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clearly. If Clearly. Simon, if Simon has three vibraniums and gives one to me. And keeps two. How many- but yours is underwater. <laughs> How many vibraniums do you have? Now? Okay, so we're it's pers- not about a war. It's not about a. It's not a movie about a war on vibranium, correct? No, it's the it's the countries of the world are trying to get this vibranium, and they have to defend themselves. Okay, look, doesn't matter. It's another Marvel film, Um they're all kind of cookie cutter. They are all very much working off a formula. Mm-hmm. Um. Really, what I would say is, is that you would have to have seen the first Black Panther film, and you'd really have to be into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. to kind of appreciate most of this, because they talk about characters, they talk about concepts that, for if you were dropped into the middle of it, you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a a, a breeze of what's going on. But am I right in um, saying, Brian, that Black Panther, like it got really, really good reviews, and particularly not just within that the, the fans of of that medium and mm-hmm. that universe. It was. It was the movie itself got great reviews. So this yeah. has a lot to look up, lot to live up to. You know what I mean? It does. It really does because, you know, the first one. I mean, it was the first time that a black uh, a black character had been introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and got their own film. Mm. Um, and on top of that, as well, was Ryan Coogler. You know, he directed uh, a film called Fruitvale Station. He mm. did the uh, Creed. Uh, sequel the the one with michael b jordan all the rest of it mm-hmm. so ryan coogler really is you know was this director that was on the up and up 
Right. And Chadwick Boseman again was on the up and up. Yeah. So, you know, there was a like you know the the expectation on Black Panther was there and it met it and it did really really well. It did huge money at the box office. There was talk of it nearly kind of. There was a short while there in the Oscars when they were going to do this thing called Best Popular Film or Best Popular Picture because they wanted to try cash in on like um they wanted to try basically bring in all the the films that wouldn't normally get nominated for an Oscar. Do you know that so sort of Jay, way? So they wanted to use the tried and tested matter of letting the public decide so the Oscars become the Jays' X Factor. Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. What it was basically Just what they were category. doing. It was just one category and it was basically like, you know, the films that aren't generally in the Oscars, like a Marvel film, like a Star Wars film, like whatever. The Long story short, that fucking category got scrapped because everyone was like, that's mm. just ridiculous. There's one best picture. That's it. Why would yeah. there be a best popular picture, you know? Yeah. And But in that like five minutes when that best popular category was there, Black Panther was talked about as the clear mm. winner of it. That will tell you how popular it was. Um, So with all that said, and the expectations mm. being very high because the first film, for a lot of reasons, was important, but it also was very good. What do you make of this one? Not so good. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it is very, very bloated. Like it's nearly 160 minutes long, which is just, yeah, that's, that is, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a long time. That's too long to be sitting on your arse. It is. It, no, Listen but it really is because, like, the fact that, the fact is is that, like, these films, they have, you kind of have to tell your story running. You know what I mean? Like, you really do have to kind of pack a lot of characters in, pack a lot of stories in, da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, on top of that as well, again, let's not kid ourselves. Like, Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman was the kind of glue that was knitting the first film together. It was his performance that was leading off it. Now he's gone. So what do you do? And the film really does try to struggle with that. You know, that's sort of it. It really does try to kind of grab grapple with the idea of, oh, Christ, uh, you know, the person that we all looked up to for the answers is gone. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like, well, that is a very kind of rich subject, you know, to, to, to grapple with in a film. This is supposed to be a Marvel blockbuster. It's not supposed to be that kind of thing. And realistically, like, how far are you going to be able to... How how much are you going to be able to grapple with this without losing the audience? You know, that sort of way. How much I'd say you... that, that well, there's still so much of it to be mined because I presume there'll be a third one. Oh, yeah, they're probably... Yeah, they're more than likely definitely will, yeah. Definitely. Right, let's get to the chocolate, boys. How many are you doling now for this one? I'll go 15 out of 20. So that's three out of five. That's not bad. Very high, Brian. I was expecting. Yeah, no. Look, I mean, look. There are there are a lot of good points in it. I do think it has like the action sequences are very well done. I do think that they try to, you know, they try to take on a lot of things with it. I'm not saying they get it all right, but they get some of it right, and that's worth a go. Angela Bassett is brilliant in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's compared to compared to the, the level where Black Panther was. This is. Not there, but still decent score. A decent score, and perhaps could be made only slightly better if David Guetta had uh, done the soundtrack. And instead of doing his big hit Titanium, you know, just saying that's I'm gonna tell you right now, Aiden, that is just sailing right over my head because I couldn't. If you put a gun to my head and said, name a David Guetta song, you would have to pull the trigger because I don't no, know. I guarantee you know I am on that song, Titanium, because our producer, John, is going to play a bit now. I told you. Still yeah. or not. Still You've or been not. on the dance floor to that at some place and time in your I life. I am right. Whether you want to be or not. All right, so look, there is two decent Decent movies in the cinema this week. Well, more than decent. One sounds like potentially performance of the year, could be film of the year, um, and for lots of good reasons, living with Bill Nighy uh, just sounds uh, beautiful and and heartbreaking. And then sounds unmissable, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I mean, go go see Living if you're going to go. I'm actually sitting facing Cineworld here, and I'm thinking, ooh, I might pop over tonight and watch that. (laughs) 
my left or yeah, do. was ever a sign. If there's literally a cinema yeah, outside literally your window in, road, yeah. in Belfast, go do yeah. it. Go do it. Uh, Brian, we are going to talk about war movies because last week I mentioned a film that I had yet to see, but I had great hopes and anticipation for watching uh, the latest. Well, you recommended it before you saw it, didn't you? Adam? Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to rubber stamp that recommendation now because I watched uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, the the brand new retelling of uh, the famous book from the late twenties, and indeed the the movie that was made in the early thirties, and the TV series that was adapted in the seventies. Uh, I'll ask you first, Brian, and, and indeed uh, Simon and John. Have any of ye watched it since I mentioned it in advance? I haven't dived in now. I had to review it. Yeah, no, I loved it. That was great. I'll tell you what what I think, and and I'll keep this very short because um, all you, all I need to say is watch this film. It is wow, utterly brilliant, heartbreaking, harrowing. Some of it's very tough to watch, uh, but it's a very visceral, an important portrayal of war and particularly world war one uh the acting in it is superb the the guy who plays the lead character in it he's only a young german actor uh felix kramer i believe his name is he's an absolute knockout and future star if one if not one already and and one to watch the the score the cinematography it's like beautifully shot but in the beauty is is the fucking horror of trench warfare and i thought it was uh, captured so well. And I'm actually going to watch it again sooner rather than later. Wow. Brian, what was your review of it? Was it along those lines? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, you know, I had watched uh, 1917. Um, yeah. And the similarities, long. Brian, even in terms of the cinematography and. Yeah. You know. But did you not feel like, see, th- and maybe this is just me now, but like, I felt like 1917, as much as it was like, oh, you know, World War One is horrific and it's terrible and you know all these awful things. There was a sense of like it's two men on a mission, you know that kind of way. There was a sense of kind of an adventure about it. Whereas when I was watching All Quiet on the Western Front, it just felt like you're just watching these people just be slaughtered. Like it's just the, a lot of war films, particularly films set around World War One and World War Two, do capture the horror, an actual horror of it. You know, like it would be, you know, any director would would tell you this, that like they do try to make them as horrific as possible and scare audiences in because that's what it was like. Maybe as real as possible is Mm. what they're going for. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 exactly. Like the only other film I've seen that captured this as well was um, Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge. Mm, I thought did it really, really well. Yeah. And that's like there's like there's so many scenes in that that are just messed up like. And just wave after wave, they're being sent yeah. up over that ridge just to be fucking mown down. Yeah. Just yeah. so uh, bloody and and brutal. I think that the, the message of All Quiet on the Western Front ultimately is exactly what you touch on there, Brian. There was no fucking point to all of this, the futility yeah. of it. I mean, even geographically, physically, like they barely, either side, when it was the Germans against the French, made any advancements. Mm. You know, they sacrifice thousands of men to to maybe gain 100 meters and then they'd be yeah. driven back the, the following day and the other side would lose a similar uh, a, a amount of people. Um, mm. So I think what was a little bit different about this movie and the telling of the story, they didn't solely focus on the lads in the trenches, these these uh, group of German friends who go off to fight in World War One. They, as they tell that story, they're also telling you the, the wider story, the political story um, of the negotiations to uh, negotiate a, a truce or a treaty. Uh, but ultimately it was, it had to be uh, a surrender. And you had the German uh, military high command, you know, these old Prussian generals who were like, we will never capitulate. And the, uh, the more political side of things going, like every hour that passes, thousands and thousands uh, of of people are needlessly losing losing their lives, but yet the Germans won't won't give in, and and you know that particularly leads to a very uh, sad end to the movie, where you know yeah. the eleventh hour, the eleventh day, the eleventh month, and all that, and they literally fought to the second, even though the war yeah. was done, it was over, and many more people needlessly needlessly died it's a powerful movie uh highly recommend it it is one of those movies though that i really wish i saw in the cinema because it's made mm. in, the cinema in terms of the 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 scale of it um but equally if it's not there in the cinema it's on netflix and uh 
I think it's well worth the watch. I think it's an important watch. Well, let me lead on then to this, because um, you both give that such a shining review. Maybe this is too big a question, but favourite war movie of all time, gentlemen? And I'll throw that out to JC as well. Anybody out there want to throw one in? One of my favourites I'd stick on the World War One kind of theme would be Pads of Glory, uh, Kubrick, just uh, as you mentioned, the futility, but that all, the, the trickle down, the hierarchy, uh, sending young men to their deaths needlessly and just to, yeah, the futility of it, but um, just the way that film was made, Kirk Douglas, like, one of his best roles, I think maybe his best role, you know, like in the trenches, that kind of those tracking shots kind of contrasted with these stuffy, pristine, thick carpeted offices of, uh, you know, the, the higher ups, you know, back in Paris calling the shots and not getting their, their hands dirty. Um, and then the end, like just, you know, he's obviously trying to save his men from a, a court martial and a firing squad. And it really does kind of took it to heartstrings, but there's a very kind of holistic feel to the film. I get a good sense of what it was like then and like the motivations for people actually going to war, but once they're in it, uh, relying on someone like his character, uh, Colonel Dax, to show them the way. And even then, his leadership is kind of robbed from him by these spineless uh, assholes who are calling the shots. I'm not your boy in any sense. You're trying to provoke me, Colonel? Well, why should I want to do that? Exactly. It would be a pity to lose your promotion before you get it. A promotion you have so very carefully planned for. Sir, would you like me to suggest what you can do with that promotion? Colonel Dax! You will apologize at once or I shall be placed under arrest. I apologize for not being entirely honest with you. I apologize for not revealing my true feelings. I apologize, sir, for not telling you sooner that you're a degenerate, sadistic old man. And you can go to hell before I apologize to you now or ever again. It's a marvellous film, but also fits in with Kubrick. Obviously, uh, Dr. Strangelove is a kind of a satirical take on, obviously, war, nuclear war. And then you have Full Metal Jacket, which is uh, an amazing Vietnam film and one that I think probably all of us have seen here, I imagine, one of your favourites. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, sir yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And Dr. Strangelove I'd certainly have up there as well. One that I would throw in is uh, is Downfall. Yeah, which... Top of my list, Simon. Top yeah, that would probably be my number one. For the... 27 time uh, about four <clears throat> days ago uh, showing it to someone who hadn't seen it before yeah it's staggering it's a uh, it's one of those movies that uh you know again it's 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 weird when you watch movies like this because you you know what happens but you don't know how it happened and why it happened and the order of what happened whatever the, and the thing i loved about downfall obviously the central performance uh the, the gentleman, yeah who played hitler it was just breathtaking mm-hmm. but it was the sense of I felt I I truly felt like I was in the bunker down there. I felt suffocated watching the movie. Like there was they, they were just rats caught in a trap. There was nowhere to go. And you know it's horrific. It's it's a horrific watch when you see what happened down there with the families and <clears throat> the wives and the children. And it's it, for me that would be probably top of my list, Brian. I would go for Apocalypse Now. Horror and moral terror are your friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. Because I think, I mean, obviously, like, Marilyn Brando was brilliant in it, and, like, everyone talks about him as Colonel Kurtz, and, you know, the, the documentary as well, Hearts of Darkness, um, that I think is a brilliant companion to it. But really, the film, the reason why I watch Apocalypse Now again and again is, is it's Martin Sheen. Um, because... What's different about this compared to other uh, war films is, 
you know, it's not like full metal jacket. It's not like 1917. And it's not even like um, Downfall or, or All Quiet on the Western Front. Like Martin Tune's character, he is a veteran. Like he, he knows what he's letting himself in for. And he's really kind of burnt out. And he's really, he knows this is all futile. And he knows that this is just like complete chaos. But he can't stop himself. And not only can he not stop himself, but he's almost kind of, he's just become a bit of a zombie. Like, like there's that brilliant scene um, when he meets with like the, the, the Colonel, the, I, I suppose like the other officers that are sending him off and they're all like sitting around having dinner and they're just kind of chatting away. And it's all very kind of like congenial and all the rest of it. And he's just sitting there just like with this like thousand yard stare. Your mission is to proceed up the Nung River in a Navy patrol boat. <clears throat> Pick up Colonel Kurtz's path at New Mung Ba. Follow it, learn what you can along the way. When you find the colonel, infiltrate his team by <clears throat> whatever means available and terminate the colonel's command. Terminate the colonel. He's out there operating without any decent restraint, totally beyond the pale of any acceptable human conduct. And he is still in the field commanding troops. Terminate with extreme prejudice. That then carries the whole way through the film. Like there's a sort of a detachment in how he views the violence. Because you have to remember, like, I mean, like the thing about Vietnam was, was that it was the first televised war. And people were seeing like these horrific things, this horrific footage coming back. And it really desensitized people because again, like it had never seen anything like it, but by the end of the war, like, you know, they were pushing Hueys off the top of buildings and all the rest of it. And life went on as it were. And I think that's what Francis Ford Coppola was trying to talk about, or at least try to kind of capture in Martin Sheen's performances is that, you know, Americans, the West, if you like, had just become completely like desensitized to violence and just had no kind of concept of how awful it was. Mm. And even putting it up on a big screen and on the huge scale that Apocalypse Now works off of, you're still kind of like, you're sucked in by it because it's all so exciting, but it's actually horror. Like, I mean, the ride of the Valkyries, like when the, when the, when the helicopters come in, like you are meant to get all excited, but then you're like, no, they're actually attacking the school. Okay, yeah. Yeah, fine. There's like a Viet Cong around them or whatever, protecting them and stuff. But they're literally firing on the school, like, and you know, it, it just yeah, it's it 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 has so much going on in it, and I think it does it doesn't try to kind of uh, it doesn't try to not I'm not saying it doesn't try to judge, but like it accepts the fact that yes, war is this terrifying spectacle, and it's a spectacle but it is also complete and utter chaos. And it tries to kind of shove the two of them together. And I would say, watch the film and then go watch the documentary afterwards. If you can or watch mm. it tonight, because it's, it's the perfect companion piece for it. Okay. Very good. Well, seeing as you went for downfall, Simon, I'll give an honorable mention to Schindler's list. It's a film I find. Oh that God. Yeah. Every time I watch it, there's something, I get something more from it. Mm. It's a truly harrowing movie, but uh, it's incredibly well made. It's probably, from in my opinion, one of Spielberg's best ever films, and from his point of view, probably his most in, important movie. I just think yeah. Liam Neeson's performance in it is is. Stellar. And Ben Kingsley is is amazing in it. He is, yeah, he truly is. He and truly the is. soundtrack, even the music. I mean, I, I have some of that music on my Spotify playlist, and just when it comes on, you just close your eyes and you're there. It's mm. just so moving. It's such a moving, such a strong. A piece of work. Thank you. That gorgeous moment where it goes from black and white to color at the end—it's just staggering. Yeah, and you have that 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 famous scene with where it's all. Oh. monochrome black and white and you have the girl in there oh the, my god the red, in the red and gym. and ray finds <laughs> oh my god i mean talk my about, god uh, being applauded for, for, for you know or, or or deserving to be applauded for playing an absolute oh sick my human, god human can, I, can i give a mention to a film uh and it's irish related when we talk about war uh a story that only came to light 
you know, probably in the last, I don't know, decade, two decades. It seemed to have been kind of hushed up for a long time. I'm not saying the film was brilliant, but the story is fascinating. That is the uh, siege of J.Dotville or Jadotville. Oh, yeah. Jadotville. Quilla doesn't know what he's done. He's going to get us killed. I hope to fuck you wrong. The 2016 movie, which was helmed by... Uh, Jamie Dornan and there was a number of other Irish lads because it centres around uh, Irish peacekeepers in the Congo um, being attacked and basically was a siege and they they literally had to fight for their lives and I think they were like outnumbered 20 to 1 Um, I presume you've all seen that movie I haven't No, I saw it yeah yeah I mean Brian from memory it was a decent movie and I I, Mm. I was so captivated by the story and wanted to know more about it I don't know how you felt about it in terms of it as a movie but from a uh, from a story point of view the fact it's a fucking true story I thought it was incredible it's actually believe it or not do you know where do you know the way Irish people say Balubas oh that's Balubas yeah they were the uh, the tribe they were the tribe yeah they were the tribe that attacked them yeah so that's where where, they've gone Balubas that's where it comes from yeah I think it was was like 100 150 uh, Irish soldiers uh, on a peacekeeping mission in the UN and they were surrounded and attacked by like 3,000 mercenaries and balubas as you called them as well and and none of them died I know a number of them were injured alright but uh, yeah a number of them were injured and they were eventually like they actually just the reason they were captured was they literally ran out of bullets mm. that was it they just ran out of ammo but um, yeah no I mean it's very well done I have to say and like yeah you're right it, it wasn't like anyone who's in the army like there was a, a sort of a what's the word it was an int- an insult to call someone a Jadaville Jack because it was basically like in the army, these lads were kind of seen as heroes. But the fact that they were captured meant that uh, they were seen, they were seen by their superiors as being kind of that they had failed in their mission, you know, even though they were heroes. Mm. Um, and it was only I, like in a long time for the Irish government to kind of recognize them and honor yeah. them. Yeah, and, and acknowledge it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. one. I'm going to mention two others, lads, just that they may be films that people haven't seen. Um, and coincidentally, they're both Dutch World War II movies. Uh, one is called Flame and Citron. Flame and Citron. Uh, they're the two lead characters in the movie, one of whom is played by Mads Mikkelsen. And they're, um, it was made in 2008, but it is on Apple TV. And they were two playing the characters of two Danish resistance fighters and they basically go around assassinating uh, Nazi collaborators. It's a bit like The Untouchables, but set in in the Netherlands during World War II. And that's very good. That's worth a watch. The other is called Rip Hagen. It's a true story. Again, it's a Dutch movie and it's on the flip side of it because it's actually about a, a guy who was a Dutch war criminal who collaborated with the Nazis and blackmailed and betrayed uh, Jews and that's a true story. So they're just two good ones if you've not seen them. If you're into the World War II uh, genre. Uh, I'd make mention of a more obvious uh, bunch of movies but uh, yeah, Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy I'm sure a lot of you Kind of watch Platoon, uh, Early Doors when it came out. I think I probably resonated with me at the time when I was kind of a teenager when I started watching it. Watching it now, it's still a pretty decent film, but it's so riddled with tropes that you you can't really enjoy it as much as the, the first few times. Um, but the fact that Oliver Stone actually is Charlie Sheen's character and actually went voluntarily to Vietnam and had obviously a, a brutal, horrible experience. Um, Born the Fourth of July, obviously, was, uh, as well. But um, the third one, Heaven and Earth, with Tommy Lee Jones, pretty pretty crap runs out of steam but those two probably two of the highlights i think of uh, oliver stone's career to get that performance as well out of tom cruise is pretty remarkable in born on the fourth of july and any kind of performance really out of charlie sheen but it's willem dafoe's film I think, <laughs> platoon. Yeah, poor old charlie out. sheen yeah, yeah uh, charlie I'm, recalling, sheen. I'm recalling that that scene i haven't seen platoon since i was a young flip but i'm recalling that scene of william dafoe running and the bullets flying yeah yeah, or even when he goes into the, the rat tunnels as well. Like, it's just, his character is so believable. And, you know, kind of, uh, you have Tom Berenger, who's supposed to be the one who's jumping off the screen at you, but it's really Willem Dafoe, like this kind of, obviously, very Christ-like figure. But watching it now, just so much of it is just like, oh, Jesus, that's cliched. But again, it's his experience, and you kind of accuse him of, you know, tropes when actually he may have lived it. It's a pretty good achievement, I think, those two films. Not the third one, though. All right, well, look, there's plenty there um, to rewatch, and indeed a couple of uh, new recommendations as well. Brian, as always, thanks for being with us on the podcast. We'll chat to you soon, buddy. Chat to you soon. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir.
Our quiz is back, but this week we are sticking to the movies, gentlemen. They're not easy. They're not easy. They never are. Um, I think, what's the current state of uh, the scores? Who, oh, who's ahead? We know the score. John is winning 3-0 over the series. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, John, as defending champion, would you like to go first or second? I'd actually like to go second this time. Cue the music. Okay, Ado, your first question. What are the dying words of Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane? <laughs> I love it. Citizen Kane. I was only watching a video about Citizen Kane the other day, but it didn't feature the end scene. It was the scene with the boy outside the window. Um, Charles Foster Kane said at the very end of the film when he was taking his last breath, I told you I was dying. Is the wrong answer. JC, would you like to steal for a point? He actually said Rosebud. And can I get an extra point for telling the listeners what Rosebud was? Well, first of all, Rosebud is correct. You've earned a point. And you tell me why he's Rosebud and I'll decide whether you get an extra point. (laughs) Uh, Started the film when he's a child. You see him on his sled in the snow, which was called Rosebud. John, you're getting a half a point for that. So you're now one and a half up. Well done, John. I'll take it. John, over to you for your first question. This, okay. Who played Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate? Oh. Yeah, you see? You see? Huh? Huh? She was married to one of your favourite directors, Mel Brooks' wife. Correct. Of 48 years. And just to confirm, dear listener, there is a member from our production team in both Ado's house and JC's house to make sure they're not Googling. Isn't that right, lads? You can confirm that, yeah? wondering who that was in the wardrobe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent him. He's from Special Branch. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, John. Let's have uh, your answer. Um, Anne Bancroft. Oh, you fucking... Is the right answer. Shoots up to three and a half points. You're already three and a half points behind Edo. Edo, what was the first feature-length animated movie ever released? Jesus Christ. Pinocchio. I don't know. Pinocchio. <clears throat> Is the wrong answer, JC. I actually gave that a bit of thought. Fuck. Uh, Dumbo? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, fuck. It's oh. one of those. Okay. Johnny, your second. Is this your second question? I can't yeah. remember. Mm-hmm. Your second question. In the Matrix, JC, does Neo take the blue pill or the red pill? Uh, I saw it once upon its release. I haven't seen it since. Uh, one or the other takes the blue pill. Is the wrong answer. <laughs> hey, no, would you like to say yes? God, this is tough. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, red. Well done, Edo. You're back in the game. Here we go. Edo. Yep. <clears throat> For which movie did Tom Hanks score his first Academy Award nomination? Oh, good question. Thank you. Um, okay, well, Boris Gump comes to mind straight away. But now, I- it's his first Academy Award nomination. Not necessarily his first win, although it could have been, but it's his first nomination. Okay, so it's before that. Let me just think of some of his movies. In the 80s, maybe? What was the one he did with the the, the, the kind of boy band or the... Oh, yeah. Oh, no, hang on here. What about... I'm going to shoot this guess. What about Big? Is the right answer. Oh, is it really? Yes, sir. You are back in business, Edo. You are back in business. That was your third question. You've got three points. Johnny is getting his third question, but he's at three and a half points. Are you ready, Johnny? Yeah, the tension's unbearable. I know. (laughs) Uh, What 1927 musical was the first talkie? Hmm. A Star is Born? Is the wrong answer. Ado, can you steal it and get ahead in the game? Ah, I'm not well up on my musicals. So it was a musical in the 20s that was the first film with... 1927. What movie musical was the first talkie? Oh, God. Um, 
um, fuck, a musical, an old musical. Um, Dolls. No, I know that was way later. Is the wrong answer. The answer was the jazz singer. Mm. Oh, right. Uh, Ado, this is your question, correct? Is it your turn? It is. It's Ado's question. And this is question number four. Well done, chaps. (laughs) Question number four. Great to see that you're. You're the one who's meant to know this. I I wouldn't mind. I'm making fucking notes while I'm doing it as well. And at the moment, it looks like a cross between a fucking Chinese food menu and a fucking doctor's prescription. I have no idea what's going on down here in front of me. (laughs) Ado, are you ready? Yeah. What flavor of pop tarts does Buddy the Elf use in his spaghetti in Elf? Oh, God. <laughs> All the elf fans are just shouting. Now. Yeah, they are. Yes, they are. Yeah. What flavor of Pop Tarts does Buddy the Elf use in his spaghetti? Is it elf? A special um, elf only flavor, or is it like apple? Because his clothes are green. I'm reaching. Reaching. And your for answer the is. I'm falling into the gutter. I'm, I'll say. Uh, Pop Tarts, um, waffle, um, apple. Is the wrong answer, Johnny? I know it is. Uh, It's got to be chocolate, hasn't it? Is the right answer, Johnny? You've stolen a point. Wowzers. Johnny, your fourth question, and needless to say, if he gets this right, I'm afraid the game is over. Okay. Here we go. I don't know why I did that. You Chinese menu. <laughs> I was reading my notes there. John, to take this week's quiz, what shocking Wes Craven horror movie carried the marketing tagline to avoid fainting? Keep repeating, it's only a movie. Hmm. He's made a good few horror films. Um, <clears throat> Nightmare on Elm Street? Is the wrong answer. Ado mm. to steal it. Who's the movie by? Wes Craven. Oh yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is the only one that would come to my mind. Mm. Um, what was the one you were in, Simon? Did he make that? The Conjuring Two? No. Is the wrong answer. The answer was the house on the left. <laughs> what is his shit name for a film? <laughs> it's a gap up there on the left there. Okay, so <laughs> we are currently it. at. Uh, Johnny has four and a half points. Ado has three points. And we're into the last question. So is it Ado's question? Yes. You've mm-hmm. got to get this right. <clears throat> Even if you do, you're not going to fucking win unless you steal John's as well. But let's dive in. Ado, who played the park owner, John Hammond, in Jurassic Park? Oh, um, the fella who was born in Northern Ireland, but is more Australian than Northern Irish. Sam Neill. No, that's is the wrong answer. Like I would say I'm just jumping in too quick. To take the too quiz, to take the quiz, JC, for the fourth week in a row. Uh, I think he was mentioned recently on the podcast. Dickie Attenborough is the right answer. Oh yes, and the others were the f- scientists or whatever who came. We didn't even get to John's fifth question. He'd wiped the floor with you before we even Why don't got you there. Ask me John's fifth question. <laughs> Just for pride. I'll ask uh, I'll ask you, uh, John's last question. What is the name of the courtesan played by Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge? <laughs> oh my god. Sounds like you're all over this one, Ado. I just love the word the use of the word courtesan. Courtesan. Um her name was He doesn't know it. Johnny, did you know it? Uh Mary. Johnny? I don't. Uh, Nancy? Satine was oh. her name. And uh, you can kill the quiz music there, Johnny, because it's over. It's all over. It's 4-0. Okay. You're 4-0 up, Johnny. It's looking good for you to be awarded the prizes at this year's Christmas party at a venue to be confirmed on a date to be confirmed. Uh, what do we get recommended this week by Uncle Brian first, Valedo? Let's recap, shall we? All right, so from Brian, we got a, a very strong recommendation uh, about Bill Nighy's latest movie, which is called Living, which mm-hmm. the subject matter of it is is um, all very uh, sad and bleak. He's a man who's um, lived, I think, what sounded like quite a, an ordinary life working as a civil servant and then late on in life gets a, 
gets a, a, a health diagnosis uh, that he doesn't have long left, and then he decides to, you know, do the li- get busy living, and um, he gave it eighteen out of twenty. He certainly did. Yeah, he certainly did. I know we only spoke to him a few minutes ago, but eighteen out of twenty, <clears throat> I think, his highest recommendation ever. And then we have the the latest in the franchise of the uh, Black Panther series, Wakanda uh, Forever. Wakanda Forever, where they're being attacked for their. Vibraniums. Vibraniums, yeah. Antiquantuliums, yeah. (laughs) And that got a rating of? That still got 15. And, uh, you know, he said it's not as good as the first one, but I think that that first one has such a a loyal fan base. They'll Mm -hmm. probably all show up to see it. So I think it's still going to do the numbers. And tell us once more, what did Sky give us? And then from Sky, it's the four-part documentary that looks at the fashion industry uh, over three decades and looks at the big players in the fashion world between the designers and the tycoons behind it all and then even some of the supermodels. And it is called Kingdom of Dreams. Kingdom Kingdom of of Dreams. Dreams. Fantastic. Gentlemen, what have we learned this week? Silk and satin dreams. Um, I feel we learned a lot this week. Mm -hmm. But if we were to break it down into... uh, actually something of substance and meaning. Go yeah. on, John. Yeah, yeah. You jump yeah. in there while I stall. Uh, Brian likes to go to the cinema to engage with his emotions and cry openly. That's Not what I've learned. Indeed he does. Yeah. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. I learned that John has almost a Rain Man-esque um, t- uh, memory when it comes to watching classic movies like Citizen Kane. Indeed. Yeah. And I learned that 802 likes to engage his fellow human beings by making them cry by wearing Joe Bloggs' red fucking jeans. See ya! (laughs) 